0: Thank you Jay, thank you worship team, you've put us uh, in the right frame of mind and spirit this morning, I pray the spirit is there as well, Uh, to be in lockstep with what was on my heart, to share as a message this morning, Uh, as Eric reached out to me, I believe it was Tuesday, and uh, asked if... If I was uh, available and could fill the pulpit this morning, and so immediately I looked to Christy when I got the phone call, and she said, yes, our calendar is available, and uh, so I'm privileged to get to serve in that, this capacity this morning. Uh, Christy was in the 8 o'clock service with me, and now she's serving uh, somewhere in a children's ministry, and, uh, but no doubt praying for us while, while we are meeting together. As Eric uh, asked that I fill the pulpit, I, I asked him, I had one question, you know, is there a text where you'd like me to go this morning? And Because over Christmas when he was a little under the weather and, and, and had asked, he had a text that he wanted me to share and he said, no, just whatever the Lord would lay on your heart. And so I took a little while and considered some passages and spent time with the Lord and I just was overwhelmed with the uh, theme, the idea of Get yourself in the congregation in the presence of Jesus. Have a fresh encounter with Him. Make use of the time that I had this past week to prepare my heart to do that. And uh, if the Lord doesn't come back or call any of us home before the end of the service, that's the intent uh, of the message this morning, just to get in the presence of Jesus Katrina wanted a title for the message. I'm horrible at titling uh, lessons or or messages, but I thought a fresh encounter with Jesus uh, might fit the bill for what the goal is this morning. My desire is that we would see him through the pages of Scripture with fresh 2021 eyes where we live today. As these that we will read about experienced him some 2,000 years ago. And at the end of the day that we would be blown away by our time here. And that you would walk out of here with a desire, a renewed desire, wherever you are in your spiritual walk, to engage with Jesus as you read God's word seeking fresh encounters with him wherever you are in your scripture reading, whatever your devotion process looks like. That's my desire. So, Mark chapter 2 is going to be our text, but before we get there, because I like to teach and that is where my spiritual gift is, uh, I've got to do a little background work. Mark wrote the gospel, but what do we know about this man Mark? So, if you're a Bible turner, we're going to begin in Acts chapter 12. That's that's where we will start. Now I understand chapter two of the Gospel of Mark. The theme of that chapter is authority, and we'll deal with that because that is both an important. It's both important and it is a truth. <clears throat> But that's not the primary thrust of my, my time there. The primary thrust of my time there is merely for you to experience a fresh encounter with Jesus. So if we accomplish nothing more this morning than wetting our spiritual appetites to run to this gospel, if you've not yet started in a Bible reading for this year, or if you have, to get into another, another passage and seek to experience Jesus as those that walked with him did. In 2022, let me pray. Father, if we accomplish nothing more than that, then I will count that as a productive and Christ-honoring morning. And I pray that you would as well. Now, these words that we're going to look at, and I'm going to share some thoughts about these events. One, you spoke them. You inspired them to be written. Two, you lived them. This is your experience. Help it to be ours through a humble submission to the work of the Holy Spirit by faith in our lives this morning. <coughs> in Jesus' name, amen. All right. <coughs> <coughs> that so I'd appreciate prayer that my voice stays open because it did during the first service. Mark's going to share the message with us. And news from a messenger is always richer when I understand the human interest, the personal interest, the backstory of that individual. Mark, as he's called in the Gospels or throughout the New Testament, John, sometimes otherwise called, and John Mark. We'll find him a number of places in the New Testament. First time you find him is in Mark chapter 12 and verse 12. This is the story of Peter being released miraculously from Herod's imprisonment after James had been beheaded. Thank you, Brian Cafferty. I should have taken care of that myself. Verse 12. Thank you. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. There he is. Where many were gathered together and were praying. When Peter realized this, he went to the house of Mary. That's an early house church. And she was the mother of this guy, Mark, that writes this gospel account. <coughs> I won't turn there, but for time's sake, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10 reveals another aspect of what we come to know about this guy. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10, he's identified as Barnabas' cousin. That's Barnabas of Paul and Barnabas commissioned as the first missionaries. So he's brought up in an early house church. He's Barnabas' cousin. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 13, Peter writes about him. <clears throat> Peter in his closing there in that book, he says, She who is at Babylon, that's the church in Rome, who is likewise chosen who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. More insight into this guy. Peter considered him his spiritual son. Peter discipled Mark. Can you imagine what it would have been like to have been discipled by Peter? How rich that would have been, especially in light of another passage that we'll look at in a minute. (coughs) Acts chapter 13, verses 2 through 5 Shows him being set out, partnering with uh, Barnabas and Saul as they were commissioned by the church in Antioch. Verse 5 picks it up. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Yet, despite all of these good and great character combinations and his service accomplishments, Mark deserted Paul and Barnabas in the midst of his first trip. Verse 13 of Acts 13 says that. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So, here's some background on him that the New Testament shares with us about him. And not all of it glowing. Some certainly is a great start had a good heritage and a good opportunity to learn truth raised in an early house church. Mark chapter 14, verses 51 and 52 reveal another really important piece of background information about Mark. (coughs) Now, in this chapter, he's going to share, like all the other gospel writers do, the story of the betrayal of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. But verses 51 and 52... uh, uh, record a story an event an aspect of that night that only he records and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body and they seized him but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked <coughs> many if not most of the commentators that i've read believe that this is mark self self story uh first hand uh, recorded event about his own experience in the garden that night. None of the other gospel writers bring it up, but Mark brings it up. Ultimately, during Paul's last days and near his death while in prison the second time in Rome, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul asked Timothy, Hey, listen, Luke's the only one here with me. I need you to come quickly. And when you come, bring Mark with me with you. Because he's useful for me in the ministry. Paul needed him and wanted his assistance. Now, is that helpful as you look at the Gospel of Mark? It is for me. It is for me because I have had those types of experiences in my Christian walk. Times when I've been on the front line of Christian service and other times When I've shirked from my responsibility. Like we see Mark doing here. For whatever reason. And there could be a gazillion different reasons. For why he deserted them. During that first missionary journey. Certainly fear was a motivating factor. Why he ran out of the garden of Gethsemane. All the other disciples. uh, Mark wasn't one of the twelve. All the other disciples had deserted too. And so this young man. Out of fear. He books out of there. Yet the Holy Spirit chose this young man who fled naked from Gethsemane and deserted Paul on that first trip to write one of the four Gospels and one of the very first books of the New Testament. God never gave up on him. God never gave up on him and God never gives up on us. And that's is encouraging to me wherever you are wherever i am in my spiritual walk listen the merit based debate that often goes on both vocally and internally in our hearts and our minds whether i'm worthy to to perform this this service in in service to our king in kingdom work or not chuck it Merit-based doesn't cut it. It's grace-based. And that's what Jesus did in the life of Mark. All right. Now that we're better acquainted with him, let's see what he wants us to know. Mark chapter 2. You know, this is easier when I teach in my Sundays, my ABF class, because I ask people to read. And, and, then, and then I've got a minute to, to catch my breath, get a drink of coffee or whatever. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, when he had returned to Capernaum. That's a city in, on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Galilee, where Jesus made home base. It's Peter's home base. It was the home to Peter and Andrew, two brothers, John and James, two brothers, and to Matthew, the tax collector. That's where that guy was from, so at least five of the twelve disciples are from there. And so when he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. This wasn't Jesus' home. We know that. Jesus had said, look, you want to follow me? I don't have a place to lay my head. Foxes, they can go to a hole in the ground. Birds, they've got a nest. I I don't have a place to lay my head. This was a borrowed home. It's likely Peter's home. I can't make a 100% confidence statement about that, but it's likely. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even, at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Let's talk about the main attraction before the big event. If you've got a a Bible that you're looking at, it likely has a paragraph or section heading there talking about the miracle of Jesus healing a paralytic. But there was a main traction event before the healing of the paralytic. Jesus understood. He had intimate knowledge of the needs of every person present. He does this morning he does right now every person present whether here or wherever, you, wherever people are he knows the needs of every person living today and what did what was the subject what was what, what activity was demonstrated by Jesus as his priority with this packed house what was it that he was doing? Somebody say it out loud. He was preaching. What would his text, what what would he have used as his text? Where would it have come from? The Old Testament. Jesus knew the most important solution for the needs of every person present could be met through an interaction with him, the living word, teaching, preaching, speaking truth into the lives through God's word. He knew that an interaction, if people by faith would listen to his word and engage with him, their needs would be met. A fresh encounter with Jesus. Look, there are many in this auditorium this morning, myself included. We've walked with Christ. We've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, submitted to him as Lord of our life when we were this high. And so often throughout our Christian walk, this book becomes so familiar. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm using Eric's... uh, um, outline for reading through the Bible in a year for about the third year in a row now and so it, it's, uh, it's a competition for me internally make for sure I get check mark and I want to be ahead of the schedule Jesus doesn't care if I'm ahead of the schedule Jesus really cares that I am encountering him fresh and new as I engage with him in his word he knew that their greatest need was an interaction with him don't miss that point he who embodied all that the Old Testament taught and pointed to then and still does today enriched the lives of those that engaged with him through his spoken word to him. This was his priority. Even if the healing had never had occurred, all needs could have been met and Jesus would have fulfilled what his mission was for that day by proclaiming, preaching the word of God and hearers engaged in that would have had their needs met even without a miraculous healing same is true today miracles are wonderful I'm thankful for those that God has performed in my family's life and I I firmly believe that my wife's uh, recovery first of all identification of Uh, the surgical team that we were put into partnership with the follow-on treatment therapy and how god healed her i'm firmly convinced god performed a miracle in christy's life i've got two two personal examples in my own life of wasted youth even as a believer i should have died twice and god preserved my life two personal examples listen Those are wonderful, I'm thankful for them, but even without them, the word of God is enough because Jesus is the fulfillment of the word. And more than that, even more, as Paul taught the Colossians in chapter 2 and verse 9, for in him, that is Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells. The whole fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. Fullness. When Jesus speaks, when we interact with him, we get the fullness of God. Expressed, explained, and engaged with us in our lives. Nick Ripkin. Nick Ripkin wrote the book, and now it's a video and teaching series, "The Insanity of God." Nick Ripkin, uh, thirty-five-year Southern Baptist missionary, served a, a large portion. Of his, he and his family served a large portion of their time the Horn of Africa. He wrote that series, The Insanity of God. They lost a child on the mission field. They had founded a church in Somalia. Former Muslims converted to Christianity. Civil war breaks out. A hundred believers slaughtered for their faith. Decimated the church. Nick, Ken Perkins is his real name, and he's from Owen County, Kentucky, by the way. Uh, Shook to the core. At this calling. And so he set about to answer this one question Is Jesus enough? Southern Baptist Convention commissioned him to go abroad into persecuted countries. He and his family, he and his wife, just he sometimes. have traveled into more than 72 countries interviewing hundreds more than 600 last time i saw individuals who had been brought up in regions of the world where you are persecuted for your faith with the question why do you stay is jesus enough his faith was emboldened speaking with these folks who had come to understand listen Even if nothing else has ever met for me, materially, financially, relationship-wise, I've lost family and friends because my faith in Christ, Jesus is enough. And that's what we ought to get from this, because Jesus began with preaching before he ever performed a miracle. So he preaches. Verse 3, scene changes. They came bringing to him paralytic, carried by four men. What was the catalyst that prompted Jesus to turn from preaching to the crowd to speaking to the man on the mat? What happened in the scripture that prompted Jesus to turn from, hey, I've got a congregation that I'm proclaiming, I'm preaching to here. I bring my attention to this one that's on the mat. What does the scripture say? What was the catalyst that brought that about? What what, he, what did he see? He saw their faith. Four people and a man on a mat. Now, I don't know. 200, 200 people, 250 people in here this morning. Let me ask, are you engaged with Jesus right this moment by faith? Because if you are, He turns immediately to you and engages you personally in His Word. Don't just be a participant of the crowd. Engage by faith and see how He reacts. Something dramatic occurred here. Consider the options for the group that morning. As they got up, They knew that their friend was paralyzed. They'd been around him for a long time, however long he'd been paralyzed. They could have chosen another day, another dollar, but he's paralyzed, leave him that way. They could have considered, it's packed house over there. We don't have tickets to get in. We'll wait for the next showing of Jesus, maybe. Maybe we'll get in then. They could have made those types of decisions. And in doing so, they would have left him paralyzed in his physical ailments. They would have left him in despair because nothing else had solved the problem. They would have left him in a place of no hope. But they didn't. They chose to do something about it. Now, they started their day with a plan. And their plan was to get their friend into the presence of the divine healer for healing of his broken state. They truly believed that Jesus was the one sent from God with power to heal this man. It's likely that they had heard of his work in other areas of Galilee. Perhaps some of them had even seen him. They'd been in other towns and thought, we got to get our buddy over there. So they started their day with a plan to get their buddy into the presence of the divine healer, For healing of his physical brokenness. Because they believed that he was the one sent from God with the power and authority to heal the man. And they did something. They did something that demonstrated their faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. That's its definition. 11.6 teaches us what we're supposed to do with it. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Do you see how the actions of these five individuals are prime example number one of agreement with both the definition of faith and the outward working of faith? It's the evidence of things not seen. It is saying, I believe it, and I am going to actively, diligently seek him because I expect that he's going to reward me for coming to him. That's what they did. Hebrews chapter 11 is filled with examples from Old Testament faith. These guys are prime example of what Hebrews 11, 1, and 6 ought to look like in our lives so is this true of your faith is it a working faith if not we've got all of 2022 ahead of us understand it 11.1 act on it 11.6 Jesus response to their faith demonstrates the paralytic's greater need they sought physical healing but the great physician knew of a more fatal disease that was present in the man This man needed forgiveness from his spiritual brokenness. And that's what Jesus deals with first when there's an act of faith. You see, it would have done this guy absolutely no good to have his legs restored to usefulness if Jesus had healed him first and then ushered in the kingdom of God. Or then called this guy home. All that would have accomplished, would he, he would have entered eternity. In an eternity separated from God in an eternal lake of fire with legs that carried him there. That's all that would have accomplished. Jesus took care of his greatest need. Son, your sins are forgiven. Some of us may right now be pleading with God, looking for deliverance from one of any temporal issues causing suffering in your or a friend's life. Note. In this story, we know the rest of it, Jesus doesn't minimize that temporal, physical need. He's going to meet that, but that was not his priority. God will always deal with the spiritual aspect first if he's doing what is best for us and not giving us over, as Romans 1 talks about. Spiritual condition is always the priority. Jesus knew this then and he knows it today. Wherever you are in your walk, come to faith in Jesus like these did. Have your sins forgiven. Engage with Jesus in a fresh encounter. Move forward in your spiritual walk. All right, Uh, verses 6 through 12. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this! Exclamation point, quite an understatement, I believe. (laughs) He was preaching to the crowd. He turned his attention to the man and his friends. And now he turns his attention to this group of Pharisees. Again, what's the catalyst that prompted Jesus to turn from speaking to the man to speaking to the Pharisees? Verse 6 They were sitting there, questioning in their hearts. And Jesus perceived what's going on inside their hearts and minds. We know that Jesus laid aside much of what he is today and was before the foundation of the world from an outward manifestation presence. We see that in the book of Revelation where John falls before him. Previously, John reclined on his chest. Jesus never gave up his omniscience. He always knew what's going on in a person's heart and mind. He knew then, and he knows now. He knew these questions that they are presenting, he knew why these questions had arisen. He saw the faith in the others, and he acted he sees a lack of faith in these and he questions, and he begins an engaging conversation with them he addresses the questions of their heart there are those today that are that run in different circles than the one that you run in and who is whose messages are contrary to that of the traditional evangelical whatever in the world that means today They're in different political groups, they're in different demographic circles, they're in different, uh, uh, they believe differently about things of eschatology. Perhaps they have a different denominational uh, attachment. And for whatever reason, because we can all be legalistic, prideful, at the core in our own flesh, we can discount them. And no doubt, there were many in this audience that morning That they had nothing to do with the Pharisees. They were ticked that they were even there. They knew that they were just going to be a bunch of troublemakers. And they were not engaging them. That's not Jesus' approach. He recognized, they're spouting this off because they have no faith in me. And so he gave them an opportunity to be exposed to truth. Validated by the miracle that he performs for his authority to proclaim forgiveness of sin. And he does that for their benefit primarily. The paralytic, his eternal needs had already been met. Theirs had not. And so he engaged them. He gave them truth, validated truth, and then they would be responsible for what, how they chose to respond to that too. Listen, these also were graced that day with a fresh encounter with Jesus. And there are people in your sphere of influence that can be graced with a fresh encounter of Jesus by you sharing that with them. Even the ones that may not uh, end up being your closest friends and would not be in your preferred group of acquaintances. What question is in your heart? Take it to Jesus. He's already aware and desires to meet your needs. So to demonstrate the authority that he had then and has now as fully man yet fully God with his spoken word, he healed the man. He convicted the hearts of the Pharisees and all those lacking faith in him. And doing so, he brought glory to God the Father. From the world's perspective... From the world's perspective, those there that day, which is easier to say, son, your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your bed and walk? Which would have been an easier thing to say and get away with? Would be easier to say, your sins are forgiven. See, I, you, you can't, you don't, you don't, we don't see that. It's a harder thing to say, rise, paralytic, take up your bed and walk. From the world's perspective, that's true. From Jesus' perspective, how much more difficult was it to say, I can assure you, your sins are forgiven, because he knew what lie ahead of him. See the weightier matter there? Verse 12, in the end, the whole crowd was blown away by what they had witnessed blown absolutely away. Mark wants us to understand the moment, the fact that it was incredible. Now as you think back on 2021 and as you look forward in 2022, with whom or with what have you spent time with or do you plan to spend time with that is going to absolutely blow you away? Encountering Jesus fresh every time does that, doesn't it? Not just going through emotion, but really engaging with them blows us away. Jesus is certainly the need that we need to spend more time with and seek those fresh encounters with. One more passage here in Mark 2. That's the last story that Mark records for us, beginning in verse 23. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields and as they made their way his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. In Luke's gospel account in chapter 6 he records the fact that as they plucked those heads of grain they rubbed them in their hands. That's what it says. Rubbed them in their hands. Plucked them. Rubbed them in their hands. And the Pharisees were saying to him, (coughs) look why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? Interacting with the food that Jesus had provided for their nourishment added more to the experience than just merely having your bellies filled. Interacting with those grains, heads of grain, rubbed the husks off, experienced that aspect of what had been provided. Sometimes their fingers, their hands got poked by the pointed end of the grain. Oh, that that felt that, smarts. Other times they're just rubbing that smoothness and in so doing, even in the warmth of their hands, heating it up a bit, tasting it, getting everything, everything out of it that God intended for what he had provided for their meal that day. They interacted with this food that had been provided, the meal that Jesus had provided. Notice that it's he that led them through these grain fields. Now, the whole issue of the Pharisees seeing this is, you know, because they're rubbing it, because they're picking it, then they've escalated the Old Testament uh, uh, prohibition for work on the Sabbath to. You know, they they see this as reaping and threshing of grain, and so they're going to condemn them. Side note, public service announcement, you want to live for Jesus and walk for Jesus, somebody's always going to malign what it is that you're seeking to do. Just count it, mark it down. Look, this wasn't the case, and Jesus used an example from King David's life to explain the matter. Now, those are the facts of what Mark has presented here in this last section Of of this passage that he's written. And he presents this as the capstone event. We didn't even go into Matthew's calling. And the section about fasting. We didn't go into those. But Mark presents this as the capstone event of this part of the gospel. And what is it that we should understand from it? Well much. But in a summary. All of mankind is paralyzed in sin. All of us. All of us are that guy on the mat. Until Jesus does something miraculous in our life. And forgives us of our sins. We're all impacted by the ensuing results from sin. Just like his friends were. All are experience hunger for things beyond this life. All of us look for hope beyond here. Surely there's something better than here. All are hungry for deliverance and needy of one greater than ourselves to lead us to a place of healing and filling. Throughout this chapter, Jesus is shown repeatedly as not just the all-knowing, but the intimately, personally all-knowing, gracious, merciful, authoritative provider of all that we need, even the needs that we have not identified yet as our own priorities. Jesus already knows them. Let's make some applications. How do you identify with Mark? Maybe you'd say, I'm not a believer at all. I have no connection with Mark. Let me encourage you to, right now. Right now, because that's when Jesus responded. Right now, he saw their faith and he responded to their needs. Then right now, act on Jesus' words recorded by Mark in chapter 1 and verse 15. Jesus said this. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Time is fulfilled. Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. If that's where you are, like always on a Sunday morning, we will have people down front at a time of invitational singing that would love to share this good news gospel, explain whatever questions you might have about it. That's one way. If you are a believer, is your walk a bit unsteady like Mark's was at times? If it is, let me encourage you with words that Eric often uses. Keep going. Keep going. Trust Jesus. Trust his word to carry you through where you are today. Keep going. Look, it is not merit-based living that pleases God. It's faith-based living, empowered by the grace that he provides. And look, he's got grain fields full of it, waiting to lead us through. Another way to identify with Mark is, like he did, share the words of Jesus so that others might encounter him. Are you paralyzed this morning? Does your health, fear, finance, relationship, or some other situation In your life or someone else's life. Have you paralyzed? Run quickly into his presence. Look. Dig a hole in the roof if you need to. To get in his presence. That's what these guys did for their friend. And we can take that action as well. He has the words of eternal life. He has the authority to speak peace and forgiveness into any scenario. And make anything or anyone that is broken whole again. Last. Let me encourage you. This week, walk through the fields of God's Word. Follow Jesus through His grain fields. I don't care where you're reading in Scripture. Malachi, Psalm 117, Habakkuk, Book of Numbers, or the Gospel accounts or writings of Paul. It doesn't matter. They're His grain fields. It's His Word. Follow Him through His grain fields of His Word. Pick the heads Don't just check off the list Pick the heads Wrestle with a verse Ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate it in our lives And experience a fresh encounter with Jesus Wherever you are And as you go along the way Let me pray Father thank you for Thank you for your word You'll do so much more over and above with it than I have feebly attempted to accomplish this morning. Lead us in these grain fields of truth. Give us humble hearts that deal transparently with you about the questions and the concerns that carry on inside of us. Help us strengthen us to turn our eyes towards you in faith and believe that you're going to act in response to our faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together. We've been brought.